Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. As always, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and see the creative work associated with this and all of our episodes for free on our website at onstrategyshowcase.com. A few weeks back, Matt, McDonald's UK released a spot called Show Your Arches, and marketing Twitter apparently went nuts, and the industry was apparently all a buzz. So the spot opens on everyday workers at their desks in an open office space, dealing with the kind of silent, familiar drudgery of the workday. We then see one woman signal a co-worker from across her desk to join her by simply raising her eyebrows or her arches. They both get up and start walking through the hallway. This leads to them spreading the signaling of eyebrows as they walk past conference rooms and other offices, so that eventually there's a crowd walking behind them, all headed out the front door. Apparently, they're all going to McDonald's. Now, fans will recognize the music. It was part of the soundtrack of 1986's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Here's the spot. So what's all the buzz about? There's no food shown. There's no consumption occasion shown. There's no restaurant. There's no ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Actually, I'm not sure they even use ba-da-ba-ba-ba in the UK. Now, of course, the fact that universally recognized brands with recognizable brand icons or colors don't need to show their logo or product in order to be recognized isn't a new thing. In fact, this isn't the first time that McDonald's and Leo Burnett have done this as stacks was an out-of-home campaign in the UK a few years back that only listed the names of the main components of various McDonald's sandwiches on on a solid black or solid color background. It just simply said, using words, no images, no logo, no nothing, it simply said, muffin, egg, sausage, cheese, muffin. And another one, bun, tartar sauce, fish, cheese, bun. You kind of get the idea. So each of these iconic sort of McDonald's sandwiches uh, were described as they're stacked. Uh, And that was it. There was nothing else, no logo, no colors, no arches, just text on the solid background. And it was wonderful work. There were about five or six different executions, each describing an iconic sandwich. Now, nothing wrong with that when you're an iconic brand, right? This is, you know, you know, the question is, is there a benefit to doing it? And there just might be. Does it accrue to your competitor if you don't have your logo and you're heavily branded? Probably not. Not if you're a McDonald's. But allowing the viewer to connect the dots in their mind can make the experience of seeing your ad even more rewarding. And I firmly believe that. I believe it to be true. 
But that's not to say that the new spot show your arches isn't branded. It clearly is at every stage of the ad, but just not in the expected traditional way. And I love that about it. So this is a uh, an episode that's broken up into two parts. In the first half of this episode, we talk about the issue of more subtle branding cues and why uh, Leo Burnett and McDonald's are doing that in the UK. And it's not just simply about communications. We're going to hear about the fact that there are some regulations. I'm not sure if it's limited to the UK or throughout Europe, but it's basically, it's called HFSS, which is high in fat, salt, and sugar foods, which is new regulation that's going to limit your avail- your your ability to show products in your advertising during particular times of the day. Now, I think part of this is recognizing what might the right formula be where you can communicate effectively with marketing while not showing your products. So that is a part of what's happening in this journey with Leo Burnett. But it's not the biggest thing. I think it's just part of the overall experimentation. The second half of the episode is about the actual ethnography research that led to the discovery of this sort of nonverbal signaling behavior, such as these raised eyebrows that are used in this TV spot, that fueled this work in the first place. And we hear about how actually the creatives saw something in the research films that the planners had totally missed. There are tons of great nuggets in this episode for marketers and for agency side people. And uh, it was a real, uh, a real fun conversation. We actually recorded this episode. I think it was uh, last Thursday, so it's still, still hot off the presses, so to speak. And lastly, I want to thank uh, Ed Cotton for suggesting I record uh, an episode on this work. Thank you to Ed, and that's the reason why we're doing this. We don't typically do um, episodes on campaigns that are in the news. We tend to wait for them to be in the market a little bit longer so we can we can talk about results too. Uh, but I, I did appreciate uh, Ed's resp- uh, Ed requesting this, and I do think it's worthy of us all to hear this uh, more in-depth about what exactly was going on uh, with this particular campaign. This uh, this ad that we're talking about today is just one of three ads that have been part of the Fancy and McDonald's platform that they use in the UK, and there is more to come over time. So here are Tom Sussman, Head of Strategy, and Joe Beveridge, Planning Director, both at Leo Burnett in London. Enjoy, and we'll be right back. Hello, my name's James Herman, and this is my best Fergus O'Carroll impression. But actually, I sound like this, and now that I got your attention, I want you to consider becoming a master of advertising effectiveness, which you can do with me on a six-week online program that'll give you a next-level understanding of how to make advertising that creates consistently better commercial results. Over the past decade, institutions like the IPA, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, and Walk have used huge evidence bases to uncover what really works and how it works. And now all of that knowledge is yours when you become a master of advertising effectiveness. Our next cohort starts in April. Check it out at mae.academy. That's mae.academy. So we're going to be talking about this spot called Fancy McDonald's. It created, Tom, a an inordinate amount of buzz. And I think there was... Uh, I was kind of surprised by the buzz. I, I kind of got it, but I, I, I sort of, I, I wasn't, I was kind of digging in thinking, what's the there there here mm. and trying to fully understand it. I, I, um, I think I have a handle on why people reacted so positively. And it was mostly a positive 
uh, string of of comments. Uh, what did you experience on your side? Oh, it was mad. I think we'd be lying if we said we totally expected it to blow up like it did. It really did blow up. Um, and yeah, and and the comments have been entirely positive. Like there has, you know, there's always going to be some negativity, but it's been tiny and almost not worth talking about. But I got to guess you saw some of it coming because there seems to be a sort of a deliberativeness about it. And I think that's yeah. what the major, there's two components to this. I think there's the strategy behind it and then there's the execution of it. So in yeah. the execution of it, I think the big buzz was this is a very subtly branded spot. Yeah. And the question seemed to be for such a global brand um, who believes in branding, why did it make this decision to have this have this spot so subtly branded? I think yeah. that's the big that's the big buzz I've been hearing about. Does that make sense to you? And I suppose the question is, was it deliberate? Is it part of a journey you're on, or was it just right for this execution? Uh, all of the above. Um, so all of the above, and I think there's multiple reasons for it. So uh, I think you nodded when you said it. it it feels intentional. The ad feels very intentional. I think that's true. We worked on it for so long. There is nothing in there that wasn't meant to be in there. It's our third execution of the Fancy McDonald's platform. So we now understand how to use that platform better. Um, but also almost everything that's been discussed has, there is intent behind it. Quite whether everyone, and I'm not, I'm not certain everyone's quite gotten the intent behind all of the decisions we made, but there was intent behind it. So the subtlety of branding, I mean, Joe can talk about this as well, definitely should. The subtlety of branding for us wasn't really that subtle. So for us, this is about as heavily branded now as it's possible to be. I mean, there's the brand colours throughout. There's the, the golden arches are written on a poster at the beginning, and our end line has the word McDonald's in. <laughs> so it's quite a heavily branded ad. I think what was intentional was not to have the food in it and not to have a consumption moment in it and not to have the restaurant in it. And that was purely because we already spent a lot of money selling product. I mean, the idea that McDonald's, the signals a change in McDonald's advertising moving away from showing products is just not true. It's We have four or more pillars of um, advertising at any given time, and two of those are quite focused on selling product quite hard. And what that does is it allow, frees us up to uh, build brand in a more purest sense with the other with the other pillars. Um, this is a brand love ad. We'll be looking to build brand love, and we know that it's a zero-sum game. So the harder you sell stuff, the less love you'll build. So we've freed ourselves up entirely just to focus on the emotional significance, emotional relevance of our food without having to show it. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's the answer to that, really. There's probably, yeah, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's, I think the brand has been playing with its iconicity, universality for, for a long time in this market and in other markets. And I think there's a lot of work we've done that play with the iconicity of the brand yeah. Not on the stage and not at this scale, but I think for us it was a in a way a natural continuation of that of that journey. Mm. The the other thing, you know, I don't think it directed the brief. It wasn't at the heart of the brief, but we did talk about HFSS as well and the future by which 
you know, we won't be able to celebrate the products and the truths that surround the product. So that was very much part of the conversation too. Now, what is that? Can you explain what that is for the for the listener? Yeah, so in the UK, HFSS is an acronym, obviously, for high in fat, salt and sugar. Um, and on our uh, television advertising, also online advertising, um, there are limitations placed on which products that fall under that criteria you can advertise when um there has been some discussion over the last few years about whether we might enter a more punitive uh era where you can't advertise at all online high in fat salt and sugar food um and everything else is after the watershed on on tv so late at night um so yeah that's been i mean that was a discussion we had for most of last year about how do you get ready for that and that was in the back of our minds, making sure this brand continues to be future fit. Um, it wasn't on the brief. I, we didn't brief the creatives and go, yeah, yeah, yeah don't show any food. Um, it was just something we had one eye on all the way through. Let me ask you, Joe, The um, when we had Tom on, I think it was a couple of months back, and we were talking about the growth of the McDonald's brand in the UK over 15 years, a great episode that people should check out. We talked about two campaigns. One was the uh, the uh, We Deliver campaign, which uh, which did not have any overt branding, just the arch. It had the it had the arch or a partial a partial arch as the main uh, image on it. And then you had the sort of the ingredients campaign. At least that's how I titled it, which again had no branding at all. Uh, but it 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 wonderfully sort of described every product in the menu. Um, I think that was called Stacks. I, I believe that's what yeah. you just referenced to that. Now, that one was um, another sort of what I would think about as an experiment. And I'm just wondering, and then there's this spot now that's come out. And I'm just wondering, is it, do you think about it as something other than experimentation? And if, uh, if, you, if you don't, what is it that you guys are experimenting with? Yeah, so I think, like I said, I think those, the examples that you pulled up, the ones that I referred to, stacks and, and lights, um, I wouldn't call them experimentations because I think different markets around the whole world um, for the past dec or decade or so have been playing with um, the iconography of the brand and the iconicity of the brand um, to great effect. So I think... It wasn't necessarily experimentation, but I do think that that kind of work um, that obviously went very well and did very did very well too, paved the way for this campaign um, in a way. And I think it's a it's a sign of growing confidence, you know, on our part and the client's part too, that they they buy that sort of work. But I think it's interesting with a brand like McDonald's because there there, there are very few brands that can get away with that kind of subtlety. Uh, McDonald's is one. And I think what we saw, which is quite interesting in some of those previous campaigns like Stacks and Lights, is that even just a whiff of the brand could drive um, sales and guest counts and desire. Just the idea of a McDonald's. And I think that's something that we definitely harnessed in this campaign too. I think early signs of that, um, this campaign is um, very, very effective in driving desire for the products and sales. Why um, do you th why do you think that is? Have you guys looked into it? Well, I think it's the power of the 
the suggestion. You know, it's the, it's the idea of a McDonald's is just as powerful as, as showing a McDonald's. Yeah, and I agree. That's, yeah, that's. I mean, that's nothing. We didn't invent that. That's nothing new. It's like the classic past the Heinz ad from back in the day that had a picture of some chips and just the words past the Heinz. The the imagination um, then takes hold. So I think there's a there's a similar effect happening here. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I, I always remember. I think it was Rich Silverstein from Goodby Silverstein here in the U.S. said at one point, he said that our product is not what happens on the page, but what happens in the consumer's mind. You leave some space for them to, cl- to connect the dots, and it's more engaging for them. Yeah, what was that famous John Steele quote? Like, leave some space for the mouse in the in the mouse trap or something? <laughs> yeah, right, probably. Yeah, that's the thing. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think the experimentation question is really interesting. I don't think we ever felt, and I think I'd like to clear this one up, actually. I don't think we ever felt like we were experimenting. We never felt like we were being brave. So I've seen a lot of people go, oh, my God, it's so brave. Never, ever used that word. Um, We were trying to be bolder. We used the word bold a lot. Um, And also, and maybe this is experimentation, but we've never, ever seen it this way. We've been really restless. Um, and that is to make better and better advertising. And we really are. I mean, we make good advertising in the UK for McDonald's. There is a real sense on every side of our team that the next thing has to be better. And when it comes to brand love advertising, which this is you know, one of the few brand love ads to make each year, that means driving more love, making it more and more emotional. So we're becoming more focused on the insight. We're more focused on the significance of the food, not the food itself. And we pull everything else back. It it, it is a zero-sum game. So, yeah, I don't think it's experimentation at all, but we just are naturally nudging it forward all of the time. And maybe we're now at the point where we're at the cliff's edge. We've nudged so much and we've removed so much, but that suits us fine, I think. So outside of the industry chatter, um, what's been the reaction from the from the uh, store level or from the numbers to this work? Are you seeing the same sort of positive reaction that you saw with lights and with stacks? Yeah, well, my, my mum likes it. That's the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so that's it. good. Um, test bed of one. I think, yeah, so they like it. I think, is it working? It's too early to say. I mean, it's been the org- organic reach of it is pretty extraordinary beyond our industry. We're already seeing that rack up. Um, but yeah, it's too early. Did you, I don't know if you saw, but System One jumped on it as well and ran the ad. Yeah, you know, yeah, to, I heard about that. Yeah, that wasn't um, something we suggested. I mean, it certainly wasn't something we paid for. They did it off their own bat. That, I mean, and if you read that report, it suggests it will be very commercially effective. And and to, if I'm really honest, and this isn't, I don't want to sound overconfident. And the reason why I'm slightly sensitive about people calling it brave. This is just classic good advertising. This is how it works. It's an emotional free sample of what it feels like to have the product. Um, it's got all the hallmarks. So if you've ever read any Lesbonette or Byron Sharp or any of this, this should be central casting for good emotional advertising. So, yeah, we're, we're confident it'll work. Um, we've not got any commercial payback figures yet, though. But I think what's probably different from what Lesbonette might have or Peter Field might have mentioned is the fact that it is the sort of the subtlety of the branding. Everybody, everybody loves the, I mean, and I think in part 
maybe we're becoming programmed as an industry to expect that er- everything should be heavily branded. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we had an episode recently um, with uh, Karen Nelson Field from Amplified Intelligence, and she reported that, uh, according to her research, about you know roughly 70-odd or something percent of digital ads uh, don't get any uh, view views at yeah, all yeah. and 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 that brands that aren't branded uh, in the first few seconds literally the first second or two can see a, ma- a major decay in their effectiveness in terms of, mm. of effective reach so all of this is out there brewing and then you guys come out with this and i think yeah. that's partly that what may be sort of stirring it up from the industry's point of view is that we all welcome what it is but because of what we're all surrounded by we're all also curious about why it is that way. And I, and I think it's fair to say that you guys are on a, a journey. Uh, you may not like experimentation, but it's a journey that, and I think you've learned things along the way. And, and, and I love the fact that we're all kind of sitting around out here going, well, well, tell us what you're learning, share with us yeah. you know, what you're learning from it. Because, um, uh, because I think we all, we're all hungry to understand if this is, a, if this is a sign of something new. Yeah, I I think that's a fair point. And it is exciting. I mean, something it's clear we're all learning is that ad is branded. So when we see people go, oh, it's really subtly branded. You go, yeah, do you know it's from McDonald's? I don't think anyone could answer no to that. I think everyone knows it's from McDonald's. Yeah, I totally, that's the critical point. I think you're right. And, and I think that's the interesting thing that maybe the branding and the well-branded, what passes is well-branded when it comes to, you know, pre-testing whatever would tell you maybe that's slightly misleading because it's impossible to describe this ad as anything other than well-branded but like you say it doesn't have all the hallmarks you're told it needs to have um or at least we're confident and we're confident enough to be subtle with them like you know the golden arches are in the first couple of seconds this happened to be hand-drawn on a post-it note you know yeah plus i mean as you for those who haven't seen the spot um, you can watch it uh, on our site on strategyshowcase.com. But literally, when this spot opens up, the first thing you see you know, in the first couple of seconds is a woman walking through an office space, an office environment, walking down between the desks, and she's holding a file folder. And she's dressed in the McDonald's colors of red and yellow. Yeah. And as you go through this, the the those wonderful, subtle branding cues, those distinctive brand assets that we hear about, they they are sprinkled throughout everywhere. And by and to your point, by the time you get to the end of the spot, you know there's no way you're disassociating that. It's not a Wendy spot uh, for those in the that's another chain over here in the US. It it is um it is it is uh, subtly but well branded for sure. The other the other part of this, so I will we'll we'll wrap that up there by just saying you guys were experiment you were you you guys were kind of playing with how you could uh you could be a little more subtle with the assets, play with that iconography. It's, uh, you know, Wark did a an, an opinion piece on this where they re- referenced the fact that DDB in Stockholm has been doing similar work with this iconography for like the curtains haircut, which is, yeah. um, you can, which, and that again is subtly, subtly, differently branded, but obviously of McDonald's. Um, so it, it is, it is out there to your point, but, you know, I, I think that we all we all want to learn more about it as time goes on. But let's go to the flip side of this, which is behind this work is also uh, a lot of strategy work in terms of ethnographies 
Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Because you've taken you've taken the the M, the McDonald's arches, and you've created an icon out of them, mm. a different treatment of that. And um, can you tell us the story behind where that all came from? The uh, the kind of the raised eyebrow uh, treatment. Yeah, I'll let um, Joe tell you that story. But before we do, just want to do a big shout out for uh, Steve Lacey and the guys at The Outsiders, who are ethnography agency on this project. Um, they were nothing short of phenomenal, but amazing. And they specialize in uncovering insights in, with groups that are usually overlooked um, by the advertising bubble, specifically the mass mainstream and working class audiences. Um, and so we did embark on a relatively you know, in-depth piece of ethnography um with them but we wanted to make sure we were talking to the sort of people that would actually be in our restaurants not just well not just my mum really and um the rest of the people in marketing so yeah there is a lot of ethnography behind it what we found out that insight where we handed on to creatives and stuff i'll let joe talk a bit about but yeah for me that's possibly the most exciting thing about the ad it all comes from real customer truth so joe before you start can you can you start off by sharing with the listener what you guys were trying to achieve by doing the ethnographies and why ethnographies as a methodology yeah sure yeah so i think the whole ambition at the start of this project was to reboot um, mcdonald's's affinity we call it affinity basically brand um advertising um and we were starting from scratch really and there was a lot we needed to understand and i think like tom said um, Stephen Lacey and the gang came in to help us. And I think there were two ways they really helped shape the direction. I think the first question we had was, what does McDonald's mean to the UK, to the British public today? Um, so we, that's the first, that was the first task to go out and find the answer to that, that question. Um, and I think previously, a lot of this um, affinity brand advertising that we've done has been anchored in a truth about commonality basically um mcdonald's being something we all have in common and that felt like it had run its course so we we wanted something we wanted a new angle and the thing that we found <clears throat> is that post-covid and kind of post the fallout of covid people were just fed up of being sensible and responsible and they wanted release they wanted release and the way they thought about mcdonald's the role McDonald's played in their lives was a little invitation for release. And we came up with this little phrase that um, the team at the outside has helped us. It was something actually a customer said was that McDonald's represents a little sod it moment, a little screw it moment, a little moment to kind of toss everything to one side and do what feels good. So I think that that was our first um, step, really, understanding the role so and let's you, just let's just explain yeah. that for for those outside the UK. So a sodded moment is like a a um um uh, like damn it, I'm just going to do it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, screw yeah. it. Right. Like as Joe said, modern life is not rubbish. It is very highly pressured, though. Right. You got to have the right job and the right career, and you've got to look a certain way, and you've got to look after your kids in the right way, and be the right sort of spouse. You've also got to use the right sort of language and be up to date with different sorts of politics and understand what the right opinion is to have on that. 
and you got and you got to eat the right kinds of food, the right stuff, and have the right body, and work out the right way. And then occasionally, like who can keep up with all that? And occasionally, you just go screw it. Come on, let's go. Do, let's have some fun. And we all need that. We've always all needed that, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like there's in different times in history, there's been different things that provided that moment. There is no doubt we've seen from research that that kind of come on, put the pressure to one side moment is is where McDonald's lives and breathes. So, Joe, t- t- take us back to this. So, w- you were after you said that the research company, the Outsiders, helped you guys sort of frame that observation. But in what in what context was that? Was it in the context of food? Was it in the context of life? Yeah, no, it was. It, w- it was in the context of. I think the thing that they helped us understand was the significance of the invitation and what that represented emotionally so that that was a, that was kind of the first unlock really it's not necessarily the enjoyment of the food itself it's the suggestion of a mcdonald's and what that represents to people and so that was we did kind of two phases of research that was the output of the first one the second one was much more about getting in to field and trying to get some creative insights so we basically we explored all of the behaviors and all of the truths that surround that invitation and there were lots of lots of cool stuff that came back it was lots about the moments it happens you know the the kind of phraseology that people use how people describe mcdonald's but there was something super super interesting that um we found around um it being unsaid the invitation being unsaid so there were all these instances of people saying you know my kid will just tug my coat or I'll just put the indicator on while we're on the motorway or I'll just send an emoji or I'll just point my head or I'll just give them a look. And it was all, it was just, it was really interesting. So that was super interesting. And I think that got us to the insight, which was McDonald's is so universal. The invitation can be extended without a single word. So I think they were the two big unlocks strategically and it's at that point we um, we spoke to teams and uh, got creatives thinking. So but let me I, let me ask you one follow up on that. Yeah, just sure. to go just to go back to the first part because I'm curious how the outsiders got to this what you're labeling invitation, which is this sort of what we've talked about as the the uh, damn it moment or the whatever type of moment we label it as. How did they how did they get to that? Were they did they find the people when they were talking about QSR brands? thought about that type of food in a way that it was sort of a, a a something you you had to be careful how you talked about it. you almost had to talk about it in a covert way or, or think about it in a covert way because the way society thinks about it how did you get to that how did, how did that bubble up as being the finding were you, were you looking for ways in and they yeah. didn't work but this one did yeah so the Soddit moment actually predates the work with the outsiders. So, we, like I said, we've been doing ethno now for years. And uh, about three years ago, we did some work. We won't worry about telling you about the research company, but we did some work, more ethnography, and we had a few hypotheses for what McDonald's might represent in British life. Of course, none of those hypotheses really work out because what do we know? Um, and we ended up co-creating those emotional truths, those emotional roles with customers. And we got to our sod at moment. It was when we got with the uh, outsiders, 
last year that they really brought some colour to that and showed us what that moment looks like. Um, and that's when um, that idea that the sonnet moment is a, a, an invitation for that moment is extended non-verbally really came out. Um, and there were lots of, you know, like I say, lovely examples of it. I think what the outsiders did brilliantly, as well as bottling that for us, is bringing it to life. And that the quality of the material that came out of that the video, that anyone would understand that insight from two seconds of watching it. And I've never really done a briefing, um, we, we were all there, never done a briefing where people sat through all these verbatim videos and wanted to see another one and another one and they laughed and they identified with it and it wasn't dry it was visceral and clearly true and these are, and these are videos tom of of um uh, consumers sort of describing their sonnet moments yeah pretty much like how do they went how do they um, say to their other half or their family when it's time to go for a McDonald's? Yeah. And my favourite one, actually, was um, there was a woman and she was talking about it. Her husband and her had a routine when they go for McDonald's and one of them would come home and one of them had probably had a terrible day or maybe it'd been a brilliant day, whatever. But they came in and obviously there'd been a bit of pressure and they look at the other and they went, do you want to? And they go, well, I don't want to. You, you want to? And they would never <laughs> finish the... <laughs> They'd never finished the line or used the brand name, but we're like, oh, that's genius. They both know exactly what they're talking about. And I thought that was amazing. That was one of the many things, like Joe said, there were others as well. It's exactly right. There were, there was a lot of elbowing and, you know, there's a certain sort of magic that happens on the motorway when you pass a, you know, drive through, all of that good stuff. But it was that, you want to, uh, I don't know, do you want to? That I think was a bit of a showstopper. Now, what we hadn't identified was there was something physical going on with that at the same time. Because as planners, we're like, all right, it's non-verbal signaling. <laughs> Bottle it like that and expect people to, to understand. But we had brilliant creative partners. Um, and, uh, the, the great and the good of Leah Burnett were involved. So you've got all of the be yeah, best people. You've got the Mark Elwoods of this world and the Andrew Longs and the Jim Millers, all the CDs and ECDs. There was also a phenomenally talented um, writer by the name of Gareth Butters. I remember when, when we when we talked Tom yeah. before um, in, when we were trying to schedule this conversation, you talked about the fact that that creatives, the creative teams, saw something in the results of the research work and in the videos that 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 planners had not noticed or hadn't articulated as well. Can tell us about that? Yeah, I saw the. They, they saw the obvious, you know, and when I say the obvious, it was the most profound bit of it, which is we were saying, yeah, it's non-verbal signaling. They were like, yeah, but there's a lot of physical signaling going on here. And particularly Gareth said, yeah, it's the eyebrows. And they, they noticed the eyebrows. They they kind of, of all the non-verbal signals, picked out the look. And then like the bit of creative magic was then turning <laughs> the eyebrow raise into a new yeah. branded behaviour. <laughs> that's great it's just it's an incredible creative leap and I, I remember the first time he actually presented it to us he ca it came as a full package it was the it's the look let's turn it into a branded behavior the music the arches cut in half as well it was all there so we knew we knew straight away that was yeah well, we only presented one one room we only ever presented one room but it's yeah it's a lovely moment uh, we knew what the truth was and the facts were and they found the interesting bit in it yeah um so yeah and I, I, I have to say it feels almost cliche but it was 
really special to be working that closely all together on the same thought and we're all completing the end of the thought together um so yeah it was a special moment you know i noticed um as you guys know we've had the um we've had widening kennedy on for the for the yeah. fan truths work here in the in the u.s the famous meals or famous orders tastisopolis and um when I and then you and I um, did one time, as I mentioned earlier, I remember when I was pulling together the creative work and we were talking about it for the UK work. There was this spot, a, a single spot called Just Passing By. And the end tagline was There's a McDonald's for everyone. Now the laborers and cablers and council motion tablers were just passing by. And the gothy types and scoffy types and like their coffee frothy types were just passing by. Those on their own whilst on the phone, dunking McNuggets and having a moan were just passing by. The driving through with hungry crew who just pulled off the A32 were just passing by. And the IT bots with taps and prods eating a Big Mac whilst writing their blogs were just passing by. And the first in types and lurking types and like to lose their gherkin types and suddenly just burst in types were just passing by. And the extroverts and introverts and guys in newly ironed shirts who like to text outrageous flirts were just passing by. And the little folk who share a joke and nudge and poke about that bloke who slurps his coke and gives his goatee beard a stroke were just passing by. There's a McDonald's for everyone. And it reminded me of my conversation with Taz because Taz used that same observation, that same insight. And that has really fueled everything that they've been doing here in the U.S. Uh, for um, for, fan, or for uh, famous orders and for famous meals or everyone has a meal. I can't remember the name of it. I don't think, I don't think I'm allowed to say that. But uh, yeah, it, there's certainly some connecting tissue there, isn't there? But I think now there's a, there's a connective tissue going the other way, ah. where a lot of what you're what you guys are talking about, in essence, are fan truths. Um, it's I'm I'm wondering, are you guys sort of? I'm sure you're not. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you guys are finding commonalities in the work that are universal yeah. for this brand, so that you're able to sort of express them in a way that connects with your different audiences, but you're finding these, these, these truths about human behavior and about, and about the experiences that individuals have had and are having around McDonald's and you're leveraging them in communications. You're just doing it in different, different creative expressions, but you're both kind of finding, it seems like you're finding this richness in, in the, in the customer experience and the human experience that, so a lot of brands aren't really harvesting as well as you guys seem to be doing. Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, I joke, like, I was speaking with Tass, uh, I think it was two weeks ago now. Actually, no, maybe a bit further back, but recently. Um, and there is real similarities in approach. Um, and I, I think the work that they have done in the States is phenomenal. And I would tell that to anyone. I think it's great, great work. Um, their fan truths approach it's very similar to our approach. Um, our approach to insights, we don't really call them fan truths, call them insights. Um, we sort of coined like 15 years ago. And that's right, that spot you referred to just passing by is sort of the beginning of that. Um, we do look for a very specific sort of insight. And there's a few things that uh, you know make them that way. But the most important one is, unlike other brands, actually most brands I've ever worked with, 
we don't go looking for insights in culture so things that are happening in people's lives and then try to tie it back to the brand we tend to try to look for insights in the culture of the brand to begin with so how do people already interact with us what role do we have in their lives where do we come in where you know what is significance to mcdonald's in the day-to-day and it just so happens and there, this is no one copying anyone so i'm just kidding around this is no one you know stealing anyone's homework it just so happens that on the other side of the atlantic tass and the gang came to the similar conclusion and called it fan truths um and I absolutely love their stories about going and find them. He went on a road trip, I think, to find a lot of his. Um, we use friendly ethnography agencies here. And um, we've really, there's been a doubling down on that over the last three years. So both teams working separately, weirdly, without conferring, um, have come to a similar conclusion, which is there is a very rich seam of con- customer insight to be mined. Um, and you don't have to be contrived. You don't have to go and look for big, bold things that are kind of you know, societal. You can start within the culture of the brand. There is a lot of love and trust and, and interest there to be mined to begin with. So, Joe, um, I love those examples you talked about earlier about you know these nudges, like people that the turn signal is a is a sort of a, a nudge. Um, so should we expect that we're going to see work in the future around sort of different executions around different nudges or um different sort of expressions yeah it's, a good, kind- it's, a, it's a good it's a good question i don't know i think um it's it's interesting seeing the reaction to this campaign in particular because it feels like there is an opportunity to build a new brand asset on the face of everyone in the in the UK. It's like, it's a, that's that. Obviously, it's, you're not going to do it in one campaign, but if you can build an association with the eyebrows on your face to McDonald's, that is incredibly powerful. It's like having how many people in the UK? 65 million, 65 million billboards walking around. So I think there is a, a question in our minds about whether we build on what we've got and continue to build um, long term. Um, or explore more and different uh, unsaid insights, um, as I chatted about earlier. But I think there's an opportunity to to build, but that's an ongoing discussion. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's it makes a, a, a ton of sense to do something like that because it just seems like it's a, it's a hugely fertile territory. The other thing, the last thing I wanted to touch on, Tom, is is um, a question that a lot of listeners, marketers on the client side, might be thinking, which is, okay, this is this is awesome. I need to apply this to my brand in some way. Let's talk for the last few minutes about where this doesn't make sense and why this makes sense for a big brand that it may not make sense for smaller brands in terms of its ability to to pull this off. The, yeah. And and, in, and more particularly, I'm talking about the what we talked about earlier as the subtlety of branding. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So obviously... There are always limitations on the applicability of you know big brand advertising. Then there's this specific sort of big brand advertising that you talk about, subtlety of brand. Yeah, I, I think it would be wrong to suggest that it was our brilliance that allowed us to do it just that. It's not. It's years and years and millions of pounds of investment in great distinctive assets. That means that we can assume... Um, that some of them are previously understood and we can start riffing on them, right? 
if people don't know that your brand color is yellow and red or don't know that you are the golden arches you can't riff around the subject you need to show it and 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 repeat it and be consistent about it i think we're now at the point with such a special brand that is such a special part of everyday life that there isn't anyone who doesn't know those things so we can play with it a bit you know and we can play with it like other brands have played with it before you know if you look at other brands with distinctive assets whether it's apple nike absolute vodka we go back in the day all those people have taken their icons and played a bit with them because they can assume at a base level that people know what those assets look like and we're just we're just in that club that's all um and it's not through luck through you know real investment and and, and consistency and discipline um and now we can have some fun i think what's nice about being able to have some fun about it means that we don't have to feel quite so uh commercial all of the time we can actually show a bit of respect to our audience um, show them that we get it that we want to have some fun with them we're not there just hard selling all of the time um so yeah i wouldn't recommend it to everyone i'd say if you have invested in your distinctive brand assets so it is there is clearly mileage to be had in uh, maybe just softening the approach slightly and treating people more as an audience to be entertained rather than sold to and this is not a campaign that replaces menu and product marketing this is this is something that's in addition to that it wasn't like you shut all of that all of that other stuff down so i think it's important but joe mm-hmm. last question would be um i've seen i've seen the spot uh raise your raise your arches uh fancy mcdonald's is the name of the spot on youtube um did it has it come to life anywhere else at the same time that that spot was running? Was it was it manifesting in social? Was it was it was it was it used at all in in the retail at the store level experience? Where, where else did it appear? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that was part of the ambition up front too to create a different sort of idea. And the fact that it is a branded behavior, the whole ambition was to make sure that it spreads and people adopt it and start doing it. So. There was a big TV moment that kickstarted the kickstarted the conversation, but there was a whole load of other stuff that went with that, from um, social activity to influencer activity to partnerships um, and so on. And I think the social component of the campaign was more important, actually, um, than the TV, because I think that's where this behaviour will continue to live and spread. Um, so yes, um, also and also the internal, the internal, as you said, it was a it has been adopted massively by the system and crew internally. So it's been a um, something that they've taken ownership as well um, of. Fergus, are you telling me you've not tried the Snapchat filter? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's pretty much what I'm saying. Okay, right. Well, that needs to be, you know. Well, I think I, 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second. We'll send you a link later. We, you've got the eyebrows for it. All right, man. Love it. Thank you uh, to uh, Tom Sussman, head of planning, Leo Burnett in London, and Joe Beveridge, strategy director, uh, Leo Burnett in London. We really appreciate you guys jumping on. And this is kind of uh, a hot topic, so we wanted to get on pretty pretty quickly and make it happen thanks for giving me part of your evenings gentlemen not at all thank you fergus good to speak to you yeah nice one and we'll see everybody on the next episode